Uh, let's see, i got a couple announcements before we start. Number one is this. If you are someone who gives at the end of the year, see, I'm not talking about money, but I am talking about money. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the year, because uh, some people do that, they, that they give their giving at the end of the year. Uh, if you give online, it needs to be in. It takes about a week, apparently, for all to get filtered and work through. So 24th, 25th is when that kind of needs to come in if you give online. Uh, if you write a check like some of the weirdos in front of me at Costco, uh, um, you can, uh, you, you have to give it before the end of the year. It can't be like after the year and, and post dated back, uh, cause that's illegal. So <laughs> illegal, <laughs> not legal, illegal. Um, and you, and so you got to give it before the end of the year so we can get that in. So if you want to make sure something goes on 2017 taxes, uh, do that. That is my public service announcement for my bookkeeper. And if you have any other questions about it, do not ask me. I'll steer you to Doug or the bookkeeper. So there you go. Uh, the second thing I've got to tell you about is on all your chairs when you came in, you have one of these. Yep. I want you to take it home with you today so you have it, so you remember what's coming. In January, we're going to start this series on January 7th called Didn't See That Coming. And we have made our own, you didn't see this coming, right? Uh, we, we made booklets for everybody. Uh, we have printed them up. We, my wife has read through these things three, four times. She's sick of reading and proofreading them. I've read them a few times, but I don't catch any typos because when I write half the book, it's like, uh, typo, uh, looks good to me. So when you get it and you find a typo, don't tell us. Just let it go. Just let us go. Right. Um, didn't see that coming. It's going to be a series. It's going to be 16 weeks long. It's going to go from the front of the scriptures to the back. And it's essentially the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming to rescue us from the front to the back of the scriptures. Now, we did this because we originally thought that we were going to be in a building that we built on a piece of property. And now we're in another building altogether. And what we wanted to do is for this year kind of refocus and build up element a bit to understand more and more to be on the same page of what God is doing in our lives. So we're doing this thing called didn't see that coming and again everything in the gospel are things that we never saw coming there are even things that even today when we talk about the gospel our full understanding is never even really there and every day god is showing us more and more and more of his grace and his goodness that we never saw coming and so you know as we step through this you'll see certain things where you know jesus resurrection nobody saw that coming see didn't see it coming it's that kind of thing um and so there's, there's daily devotions in it. They're really short. And if you are someone who has never spent, you know, quiet time with God every day, it's going to be an easy way to do that. There's like one verse and one question. That's all that it is because we're trying to get you in the habit over the course of 16 weeks of spending time with God every single day. There's also going to be gospel community notes in there as well as family discussion notes. And there's going to be, they're going to be color coded. So you'll know what age group we think the questions are appropriate for. So you can ask different ages, different questions that it's in there. It's all an effort to get you as a family and as a church family all on the same page walking through this so didn't see that coming no it will be coming and we kind of and we kind of did this also because uh, michael one of the guys on staff was mentioning to me i'm the guy that's always like in two years we're going to do this and in five years we're going to do this and in 10 years we're going to do this and i'm always like looking down the road and he's sitting he goes we need to do something where we focus on element to, not to make us myopic and inward focused but to build us up as a community together and so next year's going to kind of be that focus a bit so we're going to do the didn't see that coming over the summer we're going to do a series in proverbs that's called counterculture uh because not that we're against culture, but we want to bring about the culture that God intends. We want to be about what we are for, not what we're against. And then in the fall, we're going to do a series through Tim Keller's book called The Reason for God. We're going to give every family, not every person because we're poor, we're going to give every family a book if you don't own one already. And so you can have that book to read through it, go along with the messages, ask the questions with the sermon notes, and kind of go all along with that. So I think it'll be, be kind of cool that the whole year kind of growing us up 
together as a family to be on the same page as we interact with our communities and our neighborhoods and our city and our state and our nation and hopefully the entire world around us. Does that sound good? Okay. Even if you don't like it, we're going to do it anyway, so whatever. Um, also, i gotta, I got to confess something to you. I lied to you guys. I lied to you guys. Uh, way back when we started this series, I said that my Christmas gift to you is that these were gonna, messages were going to be under half an hour long, and they have all been over half an hour. So I'm really sorry. Uh, not so sorry I'm stopping doing it, but I, I, you know, I'm, just, I'm sorry. So there you go. I'm confessing to you. Uh, if you are new to Element Welcome, there are Bibles in the back and under the chairs in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. You can take it home. Uh, if you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you get some notes that go deeper into what we are talking about. Uh, we usually have an app on your smartphone, but today it didn't get uploaded. We had so much stuff going on with the week before the week before the week of Christmas Eve, we had so much that it didn't get posted and updated. So if you go to version today, it's not going to be there. So lo and behold, you need the dead tree version. We call this the hard copy. Okay, so get a hard copy. They're, they're in there. Again, it's, it's not version. We're really sorry. It'll be back uh, two weeks from now when we do the, the next series and start all that. Uh, so uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who first and foremost see ourselves the way that you see us, that you have called us into your family, that you, that you seek us and you have saved us and you hunt us down and you convict our hearts and our souls and call us to be your children. And I ask that we begin to live that out in the world. And when we have hard people that come into our lives, we would first see them through the eyes that you see them in. And then that our lives would then change of how we witness and speak of your gospel to those around us because you are first good to us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our last week, as Donald said, before Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve for me is the most joyous night of the year. I love Christmas Eve, so you should totally come to one of the service, 5, 7, 9, 11 p.m. Uh, I wrote this message when we were still at Element in the old car dealership, actually almost a year ago. It was December, kind of like some days we'd have this month where it's like 85 degrees, and my office was like 85 to 100 degrees, had zero insulation, sun's beaten down. It's, really, it's like a sauna without the cool rocks. It was just my sweat. It was terrible. But this This is what I wrote. This is what I wrote almost a year ago. I am hoping and praying that we have a permanent home at this point. As of of right now, it's all up in the air. Hopefully, we got a great present from God and have a home to call our own. Ta-da. There you go, right? Not what we saw coming. Wait. Didn't see that coming, right? So... Yeah, we thought it was going to be one thing or another. Anyway, we're going to end this series at, in a place I hope to have a lot of fun with you. We're going to talk about embarrassing people. And if you don't know embarrassing people around you, you are that person because embarrassing people are clueless, right? They think it's always somebody else, but it's actually them. And I could talk about this all day and use myself as an example because I tend to say things and do things that embarrass others, especially my wife or my friends or maybe even you. Like, I have probably embarrassed you at some point when you maybe invited a friend to Element and I, and I maybe said something, you were like, ah, oh, he's usually not like that. The truth is, I'm always like that, okay? They're just trying to be nice to you, but I, I am kind of like that. Like, last week, I'm talking about Lord of the Rings, and I'm trying to explain what a hobbit is, and I'm like, it's like a furry midget, but apparently you can't say the word midget anymore because it's offensive. I don't know this. I'm sorry. I have no filter. Give me some grace. Amen. Okay, there we go. 
So we're doing a series. It's called Jingle All the Way. It's about how to deal with people yet show up over the holidays, family or friends or, or whatever, because we got to deal with them because God has placed them in our lives. And many times people come into our lives, God has placed them there, so we are the ones who are, that grow and we will actually change. Sometimes over the holidays, though, we feel like we always have to play nice and jingle all the way and be happy. And it's also the name of an old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which I used because I thought it was funny, and nobody else thought it was funny but me. So whatever, it's your fault, not mine, for not being funny. Uh, we have all been, and we all know people who have been like those we talk about. And so we covered stressed out people and disappointed people and hazardous people. And today, like I said, we're going to talk about embarrassing people. But what we need to do is take a step back and see that we have all been those types of people. And that God has offered and given us grace as a people. So we should extend that same grace to those around us. And my continuing disclaimer in this series is if you think that your life is perfect, you're probably going to get nothing out of these messages. Like if you think you have no issues with anyone, that you have no difficulty, difficult people in your life, if you don't think anybody in your family is hard to deal with or sarcastic and no one talks too much or drinks too much, uh, that it's always easy to follow what everyone says and no one's too opinionated and there's no divorces and everyone's kids have always been perfect and there's no addiction, no job problems, no insults, no crying babies, and like I said the first week, and no cats, well, you know... You probably think these messages then are not for you. But they really are. They're for all of us. They're for all of us because we've all been these kind of people. And as I said the first week, the only way to deal with certain hard people, there's only a few ways to do that. One of them is called murder, and we don't recommend that. Another way is called induced coma, which is very expensive, so don't recommend that. How do we help people to change? It's never by walking up and saying, you drive me nuts and you need to stop it because they just don't take that very well. We have to start in a place where we understand that God has rescued us. And God has redeemed us, and he calls us to live out the truth of the gospel in one another's lives. So as we live that out, we bring the truth of the gospel there, and that's what changes relationships around us. And so we've been going through these different things in the Bible and various situations that we see people have there, and then we talked about them. Again, I hope today is kind of fun in the beginning, because we're going to talk about embarrassing, untactful, and crazy people. Do you have anybody that shows up during the holidays? Boy, you're just on it today. (laughs) Do you have anybody that shows up for the holidays? That is just crazy. Not like, not like, you know, I love you, but you're crazy, but just like crazy all the time. Like, yeah, we all have, we all have those people. In the Christmas story, uh, there are crazy and embarrassing and weird people who show up. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to give you a few of them. So, uh, the first ones you run into in Luke chapter 2 in this story are the shepherds. The she- we love the shepherds, right? The shepherds, you know, they're, they're dressed in their robes. They're so nice, and they bring the little lambs to Jesus, and we love the scenes with them. But really, this time, the shepherds would be like we equate, like, hardcore oil rig guys or hardcore campers, like not the kinds that go out in their motorhomes, but the kind that actually go out, and they don't use tents because they think the more body hair you can grow, the warmer you're going to be. Those guys. They, they don't take a bath because they believe the more oily skin you have, the more critters and bugs it will keep away. It also keeps the chicks away too. They just don't seem to realize that. So shepherds in this day, they were considered to be untrustworthy. They were not actually even allowed to be witnesses in court proceedings and their trade was considered a despised trade. And yet the beauty about the scriptures is that God calls himself our great shepherd. That Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in the gospels. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now when you see this, this is like wildlings to the north of the wall. This, this is the Vikings. This is like hell's angels in the 70s with, with their inappropriate jokes and tattoos and ready to fight and cause trouble. They're the ones that you just did not want to invite over to your house for dinner. 
Because if you did, you know, they, they might use the toilet, but probably not. And if they did, they might blow it up in the middle of it. So you just don't know what's actually going to happen. Shepherds were not part of like nice Israelite society. They're near the bottom of the strata. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The chances are good that the angel showed up and interrupted them in the middle of one of these inappropriate jokes. They're like, oh no! And the angel's like, fear not, don't be afraid, it's okay. Verse 10, and the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the angels show up and they start singing, glory to God and I don't know if that's how it goes, but you know. Whatever, that's not how my mind sees it. And the shepherds are like, we've got to go see this baby. We've got to, this is an amazing thing that God is doing. But you've got to imagine Mary, right? Sitting there, got a newborn baby. And all of a sudden, these stinky dregs of society show up. And they're like, hey, you got a baby. God told us to come see your baby. Can we touch the baby? Can we hold the baby? Mary is probably like, Joseph, do not let them touch the baby, right? That's the shepherds. Then let's talk about the Magi, right? The Magi, the wise men. Sometimes at Christmas, you will just have people show up who see the world differently than you do. The Magi were men that came from the east to see Jesus. Now, Magi is where we get the word magic from in the end. So to the start, there's going to be differences. They're, they're from the east. Eastern people see the world differently. Even under the umbrella of Christianity, we have this thing called Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox Christianity just sees the world a lot differently. The Magi, they were not Israelites. They did not follow Israel's God. Many of the practices they participated in were actually forbidden to the Israelites. And I think this call in their heart starts all the way back when the Israelites are in Babylon and Daniel is there. I think some things get left there in, in their hearts. So God calls them and they come to see this baby. Now what happens in the course of time and the telling of the birth narrative is that certain pictures get painted in certain churches with frescoes and things like that. And so there comes about in the 300s, a church is built in Bethlehem in the place where they believe Jesus was born. In 614, an army from Persia, that's Iran or Iraq, come to this area and they're destroying church after church after church because they're different than them. And they get to this church. Here's a picture of it today. They get to this church in Bethlehem and they, and they see this like pictures like this. These frescoes of like the wise men. Here's another one, the stained glass. Not there, they didn't make that, and that's not there from the time, but they look like this. And they look up and they see these pictures of these people who look like them. Because magi, they, they, wore, they wore pants and belted tunics and Phrygian caps, and they recognized their ancestors, these guys, and they left that church standing. And then they kind of moved on from there. Now, aren't you so glad that Iraq and Iran and Israel have figured out all their problems today, and it's also... So what happens is sometimes at Christmas, people are going to show up to see the world different than you. Maybe you have a person in your family who's like a full-on Wiccan or agnostic or a Muslim, and you're like, what are we going to do? That? What you're going to do is you're going to show the grace and the love of God. You're not going to shrink back from who Jesus is, but you're going to show them the grace and the love of who Jesus is, because it's God who is the one who works in their hearts. Next thing you got in the story, you have this guy named Simeon. Simeon is an old man. Usually as people get older, they get crotchety and they just say things they shouldn't. Because I can't wait till I'm really old because then I have an excuse to be the way I am, right? <laughs> you ever have someone over for the holidays who just blurts things out and says things they, sh- they shouldn't actually be saying? Well, that, that's Simeon. Like, maybe you attend a church who has a pastor who says some things from the pulpit that maybe sometimes they shouldn't say. It makes everybody a little bit un- uncomfortable in the room. I am told I do this. Uh, my friend Pam Brown, a couple months ago, she had this thing burned off on her face. And I've had things burned off on my face. And I walk up and I go, hey, what happened to your face? Like, that's how I started the conversation. And she actually looks at me and she says, thank you so much for asking. Because other people talk to me and they're like, 
they like look, but they don't want to look. They don't want to say anything. And then she gets to tell me what happened. And we can commiserate. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, the dermatologist, they hate me. They're like, and they come at you with those things. And what do I do? We, we get to commiserate and talk about these things. It, it's amazing. So just be open and honest and talk about it. If, if you're talking to somebody and they have like a booger hanging out their nose, let them know. <laughs> do not let them go into another conversation with that thing because that's a sin. Okay? Let them know. Love them enough to say, you got food in your teeth. Get that thing. Let them know. Be a godly person. Care about the person next to you. We have this, we had a new person. New people come to Elman all the time. Sometimes they don't stay. This guy right here. Um, But I was talking to this guy. I was talking to this guy a few months ago. And for 15 minutes straight, he's like, and I go, man, you can talk a lot. Right? He's, Aaron, it doesn't help now. Right? I just say things. Right? He's still coming. He's in second service today, so he, he's still coming. Uh, maybe you appreciate it. I don't know. But, you know, that's I'm that guy. I think it's a benefit. You know, some people think it's a problem. Simeon, <laughs> Simeon is an old guy. He has been waiting to see God's Messiah. God promised him, you will not die till you see the Messiah. And so he's in the temple day after day after day. And then one day, Mary and Joseph show up with the baby Jesus. And God's like, that's the Messiah. And so Simeon walks up, Luke 2.34, to Mary, probably 13 or 14 years old, her life falling apart, she's trying to hold it all together, and he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. People will oppose this child, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He's going to die, and when he dies, it's going to cut you to the heart, Mary, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That's all, you know. Have fun running to Egypt and raising the Son of God. See ya. That's Simeon. Do you have anybody like that? You. Okay. How about your crazy family? Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have somebody crazy in your family, well, they probably think you are. Uh, everybody has someone a little off the rocker somewhere, goes one way or the other. Uh, Jesus' Jesus' family even had somebody like this in his own family. You know who it was? Jesus. That's who it was. Imagine that. This takes place after Jesus grows up. He's out teaching and calling disciples, leading in these amazing ways. Mark 3.20 says, Then he went home. That means his hometown, not like his house. This is in Capernaum. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Jesus is very popular with the people. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So the members of Jesus' family, his mother and his half-brothers and sisters, show up believe he's crazy. So besides all the opponents he has to his public ministry, his family now thinks he has all of these problems. He's got to contend with them as well. Now, Jesus never forsook his relationship with his physical family, but he always put the call of God first in his life, which made some people think he was crazy. They're saying he's lost it. Someone's got to go get him and commit him against his will. His mother and brothers are waiting outside of this place. In Mark 3.32, they say, your mother and brother are outside seeking you. Does Jesus say, oh, okay, hold on. I'll go take care of this. I'll be right back. No, he doesn't do that. What he says is, Mark 3.33, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And there's lots of reasons why Jesus says this. I can give you a whole sermon on it, but I won't. You're welcome. i got under half an hour. Hashtag, right? Um, but, but, but his family doesn't hear all the teaching behind it. All they hear is those words that he says right then. And what do they think? They think he has totally lost it. Jesus redefines family and God. And too often we think, oh, if I just lived at Jesus' time with him and did those things, it would be so much easier. Life would make so much more sense. But that's not true. 
Even Jesus' family thought he was crazy at first, which is even more amazing that happens after his death and resurrection. They all come to believe everything he said. Even his own brothers worship him as God. I'll tell you, it takes a lot to get a brother to worship another brother as God Almighty. It's very easy for them to think you're the devil, but to think you're God Almighty, that's a whole different thing. That's a world-changing event. Jesus lived in the real world with real issues. He deals with it in very real ways. We are reminded in John 1.14, which I think is John's Christmas account, he says, And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus steps into time at Christmas, and he brings grace and truth. And I was thinking, what's a good way to wrap up this series on these four different types of people? I thought, this is it. How do we live like Jesus? Live out the gospel, grace, truth, and time, because that's what Jesus does. Grace. A lot of people ask questions about grace. What is grace? Well, I'll tell you, grace is not about performance, and it is not about achievement. Grace is solely about God loving and giving to us as a people, which means we're supposed to give hope and forgiveness and honesty and our presence to one another. The reason sometimes we are so reticent to offer grace to one another is we really don't trust other people. Like, there's this book called Economics, and it has this survey where it shows 83% of people are confident in their ability to make good decisions, but only 27% are confident in the ability of other people they work closely with to make good decisions. And so what it means is we don't trust people around us, so we don't tend to offer them grace. We offer them 27% grace, which isn't a whole lot because it's all we feel comfortable with because they're going to screw it up anyway, right? Yeah. There, there is no one in your life that does not need grace. Even people who say they don't need it, they need grace all the more. One of the most amazing stories of grace is found in John 8. There is a woman, and the text says she is caught in the act of adultery. This is an offense at that time that is punishable by death. And no matter what sociological studies want to say today, it is the very rare exception that one spouse is okay with another one having an affair. A woman is caught. She's brought before Jesus because she was set up. Everyone wants to get her and get Jesus at the same time. And so what Jesus says is, okay, you can stone her, but only the one without sin in their life can throw that first stone. And everybody slowly and steadily drops their stones and walk away. This story worries me in the modern American mindset. Because in America, we tell people that nothing they do is wrong if they feel it's okay in their heart. I can see someone in America going, yeah, boom, thump. I can see it totally happening. But here, people are honest enough to look at their own lives and slowly and steadily drop their stones. And Jesus says in John 8, 10, and 11, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, it's very important to see that Jesus did not say her actions weren't sin. He clearly called them sin. He clearly said, Stop doing this. Walk away. But what he does is he doesn't condemn her. He offers her grace, and that changes her life. Jesus is the only one in a position to truly judge us because he was and is sinless. But instead, he offers grace. Grace with one another should direct us to realize we are in no position to judge one another's in like a soul condemnation level. Yes, we can judge other people's actions and the things that they do, but people's souls dear solely in the realm of who God is. And so we should begin to offer grace. You may think someone in your life does not deserve grace. You think they just, they've been too far, they just can't get it. Well, honestly, neither do we. But God has given it to us, even when we are undeserving. So we share it with other people. You know, some people are really kind and caring and loving, like right out of the womb, right out of the chute. Other people are like mean and depressed and self-righteous. And for some reason, we find so much easier to offer grace to people who are kind and sweet and things like that. And depending on who you judge, it says a lot about your own personality. 
But do you know that some people who are kind, just, just like that, are actually have a different gene variation in them? Orberg wrote this in one of his books. He said, when you think about what makes somebody really grateful, it can be a variation of a particular gene, CD38. A mutation of that gene is associated with a heightened capacity for gratitude. Nobody deserves this, but some of you have always been grateful your whole life long, and you wonder why. And he says, it's because you're a mutant. We don't offer grace because we have a gene variation. We offer grace because God has first given it to us. Then grace is then paired with truth. We all need the truth. We should all want truth spoken to us. And grace without truth is always going to be lacking. Everyone needs the truth. But for some reason, a lot of us find the truth very hard to say. If you don't find it hard to say, you find it hard to say in a grace-filled way, right? We all need to speak the truth and hear the truth. And I've told you before that we seem to always say we want the truth, but we don't really want the truth in our lives because we don't want to know about ourselves and our souls. Like if you take your car to a, a car shop and they look at it and they go, man, your car is a great piece of machinery. I wish I had this car. It's amazing. And you go driving off and five miles later, Later, your head gasket blows and your muffler falls off. You're like, oh, you go back to the shop. Why didn't you tell me? And the guy said, well, I was going to, but I really wanted you to like me. So I told you what I thought you wanted to hear. You'd be mad at your mechanic. Or if you went to your doctor and, you, and the doctor's like, oh, man, you're in great shape. Keep doing what you're doing. And three days later, you have a heart attack. And your doctor shows up and you go, why? And he goes, well, you're 100 pounds overweight and you never exercise. You eat like garbage. What do you think was going to happen? He's like, well, why didn't you tell me? I wanted you to like me. So I told you what you really wanted to hear. You'd be mad, right? You should be. Then why when people have enough guts to tell us the truth about our actions, about our lives, and about the things that we're doing, why do we get so angry with them? Because we hate the truth when it comes down to what really matters to who we are. We all need the truth. We all, have to, we all should speak the truth. We should want the truth spoken to us, but with grace. When you tell someone something that bothers you, it shouldn't be because you're so mad you can't take it anymore, so you back up the entire truck and you dump the whole thing right there. That's not helpful. It needs to be full of grace, which means we need to be a people who understand the gospel enough to understand the grace that's been given to us. And we need to understand when someone talks to us that we need to know the truth about ourselves and accept what people say with grace. I once heard this Christian leader speak about the two great sins that plagued his, spirit, plagued his spiritual life. He said this, number one, he says, one was that there were times when he was on an airplane and was not as bold in witnessing to the passenger next to him as Jesus would have been. I'm like thinking, really? As Jesus would have been? I don't know if Jesus would have taken a plane. He'd walk across the water. I don't know. But two, she said, he said, there were times when his mind wandered while he was praying. And I thought, holy cow. What world does this dude live in? That These are like the big sins. Like, I don't have any sins. I don't talk like Jesus talking on the plane. And my mind wanders when I pray. I fall asleep when I pray. Am I going to hell? What does that mean half the time? <laughs> See, if I, as your pastor, only struggle with those two things, what kind of hope would you have? Seriously. This is why I tell you all the time, I'm terrible. You may not believe it. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I'm terrible. I sometimes feel like Paul when he calls himself in 1 Timothy 1.16, the worst of sinners. But there's this whole weird thing in churches today. Like, if I confess some, like, serious and like, how I can be mean to my wife sometimes, some people are like, well, you shouldn't be a pastor. Well, who should be? The guy who lies and says, sometimes my, my mind wanders when I pray. That's all I struggle with. I mean, that guy? And, and, if, and if I confess only safe, non-scandalous things to you, you will learn to be a people who are hypocritical and inauthentic. Like, if I tell you the greatest sin in my life is I can't keep a sermon under 30 minutes, boo-hoo, poor me. Right? Oh, the grace of God needs to come down because I always talk too long. What, what is up with that? Seriously. You know, it's, it's a terrible dilemma. 
And we seem to be a people who cannot even confess our sins to one another without hedging just a little bit and lying just a little bit and covering up our sin just a little bit. So we lie when we're confessing about our sin so it don't look as bad when we're talking about our sin. It's horrible. But our relationship with others and God will only grow deep when we become honest about who we are. That this sin is common to all of us. And this is why at Element we're always pushing towards gospel-centered community because grace plus truth has to go to time. And time is gospel-centered community, how we live in each other's lives. Time means that we can live in this gospel-centered community with one another. We can share the hard truths. We can talk to one another. That we have spent time enough that when we say things that should be listened to, they won't always be, but they should be, that they should actually be heard. You know how many times that I have talked to somebody who said they, they're mad at somebody else? And my first question is, well, have you talked to them? Many times they'll say, yes, I have. My next question is, how many times? Oh, once. I did it once. Really? Once? Let me ask you this. How long does it take God to change your heart? To move you to where you need to be? Does it take just once? Does God need to go, Aaron, preach shorter. Got it done. <laughs> no. God comes in and he works with time, time, grace, truth, time. God continues to work on our hearts. It's not just one and done. He continues to work on us, to grow us into who we were meant to be. I got this analogy, and, and sometimes uh, we have lunch meat in the fridge, and I, I buy it from Costco, so I, you know it's like 100 pounds when you take it home. And so I put some in the fridge and some in the freezer, and sometimes you run out of lunch meat, right? And, and like you forget to take some out, so the next day you're trying to make a sandwich, and you're like, oh, so you pull it out of the freezer, and you get that knife or whatever, and you're trying to pull off some pieces. You, you know, right? And then what do you do? You get frustrated, you throw it in the microwave, which never works, okay? Just <laughs> the microwave, and you got to throw the whole thing away. If, if a microwave doesn't work for lunch meat, why do you think a microwave approach is going to work to relationships in your life? It doesn't. It doesn't. It takes grace and truth and time. See, Christmas is meant to be our understanding that God came to us to rescue us because we are all lost. Jesus in his own word says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has come to bring us grace. He has stepped into time to walk with us in our relationships that we get to become adopted as God's children. The gospel is meant to inform how we live in relationships, not just with Jesus, but with one another as well. Our relationships are to be centered on the gospel first because only then are we able to offer grace and truth to the embarrassing and the stressed out and the hazardous and the depressed people in our lives because we understand that God has first given it to us, grace and truth and time. In Luke 13, 6-9, Jesus tells this parable. He says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And you can kind of take a step back and say, I have been working on this relationship for three years. You know what? It hasn't getting any better. I'm done. Cut it down. And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now commentators will tell you that the vine dresser in this story represents God. And that God is the one who says, give it some more time. I'm working on it. Let's give it some grace. Let's move through this. I know sometimes it's frustrating. And I know sometimes it's hard. But it's grace and truth and time. And all the manure, all the poop in people's lives, God is going to use to grow us into who we were meant to be. 
God is patient with us. We should be patient with one another. Second uh, Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Guys, I know. I know there are people in our lives who don't deserve grace, but I will tell you, neither do we. Neither do we. And there are people in our lives who do not deserve more time. But honestly, neither do we. And the truth is that the only hearts we can lay before God are our own. And we can pray for others and lift up others and live in grace and truth and time because that's what God calls us into. To be a people who trust Him enough. And there are times in relationships where you, where you have to cut the cord. And, and it may take time for those to come back around you, but even when you cut the cord, it doesn't mean you stop praying for that person. I had someone in my life, just, and just this last month, they had something happen where our relationship kind of got cut off. I still prayed for them occasionally. Throughout. And I'm not saying I'm great at this because I'm not other people I'm just done with and I stopped praying for because I'm horrible. But this one person I kept praying for, and this month something happened and brought this person back into my life again. And, and it's, and so I reached out and I said, Hey, you know, I heard this thing happen. Do you want to meet? Do you want to talk? Do you, do you, do you want anything? And, and he reached back to me, which, which is very interesting. And, and I think that, that God is going to do a, a work in there of some sort where he's not going to make my heart so hard towards him and hopefully not his so hard towards me, but, but we'll see what happens in the end. But it is, it is always being open, always praying grace plus truth plus time because it's what God has done with us. This is why we talk about communion. For you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me as a people. Because at this place, God made promises for millennia. My, my son's going to come. Deal with the sin issue. And then God makes good on that promise. And 2,000 years later, we still look back at that moment because of what he did there. Death, resurrection, and what he continues to do today in us. God takes away everything that separates us from one another and us from him. Our relationships get to be restored again because God is simply that good. And we trust him for that goodness. And if he is a God that gives us grace and truth and time, we must be a people who begin to live out that exact same way. And that's how you deal with the tough people in your family, grace and truth and time. Sometimes I know you want to hit that truth harder than the grace. (laughs) I do. Uh, But always come back to understand that even when you speak those words, the reason you're supposed to speak those words is because you want hope and change and life again. So that's what we offer. The band's going to come up. Yes, they do. Uh, like I said, you can take communion to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you have a, a hard relationship in your life today and, you are, and you're wondering you know, how to begin to deal with it, how to begin to walk through some of those things, they'd love to pray with you about that. If, if you don't even know how to deal with something that's going on, they'd love to pray with you about that. You know, maybe, maybe you have a hard person in your life and it's like I've reached out and I've given time and I've, and I've given grace and I feel like it just keeps coming back to slap me in the face. Well, let them pray with you about that. And maybe think of some ways that you can still extend grace and truth and time while not allowing yourself to be in a hazardous position. Because I think that there are some ways to actually do that. Because our God is good. And as much as we run, our God will chase us down. And our God will offer us grace because our God is a God that loves us. He loves us. Not because we're so great, but because He is. It begins and ends with Him. There's offering boxes next to the doors, and we give because God has first given to us, so we give back as well. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. Uh, there's some food outside. Grab some to eat. Grab maybe some sermon notes. Meet some other people and develop some friendships where this week you can kind of talk through some of those questions that are in the sermon notes. You know, about who is it hard for you to offer grace and truth and, and time to? Which of those things is easiest for you to, 
throw at somebody else. Because a lot of times we think grace is letting people do whatever they want, and it's not. Grace is coupled with truth. And grace and truth are coupled with time. It's all supposed to go together. So we live out the truth and the reality of the gospel, the good news of what God did to rescue and save us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live out the good news of your rescue and redemption of us. That we would understand your kindness that has been bestowed upon us and that would lead us to see our lives in terms of humility and grace and the time that you have given to us that we would in turn repent of the ways that we have shut others off and come back to the place where we first understand who you are and then how we begin to live that out in one another's lives. Father, it's like we always say and remember that we love simply because you first loved us. It all starts with you. So teach us as your children in this world to begin to live out the grace that you have bestowed upon us, the truth that you have spoken about our lives and and about our sin, but also about our redemption. And the time that you never leave us, that you walk with us day by day by day, and that we would honor you in all things because you are a great God, that we would remember that we have reason after reason after reason to live out this good news because it's your great rescue of us that begins and ends this whole thing. Teach us to love you by what we say and what we do and how we love you back. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.